There is a feeling that is perhaps sweeter, more exquisite, more gratifying than any other feeling. Sure, falling in love has a beautiful pain about it, and succeeding at a difficult task has a sense of accomplishment, but little compares with this feeling. Wars have been fought for it. Personal reputations have been staked. Marriages have been destroyed just to feel this feeling. And that is the feeling of being right, of being vindicated, of seeing someone who is clearly and obviously wrong getting put in their place by irrefutable facts and logic, of witnessing, say, someone on cable news or social media being held up as the dunce that they clearly are. That feeling doesn't last very long, does it? Recently, I deleted a social media app from my phone. This app has a section with curated Twitter posts. These are either snappy one-liners, which would obviously solve all of society's problems, or they're clapbacks to other Twitter users. The thing is, I often agreed with the viewpoints in these posts. It felt good in the moment. Didn't last. I felt worse in the long run, more cynical, more isolated. I got tired of the aftermath. Yet I know my addiction to being right hasn't gone away. You know, uh, just ask me how I feel about, feel about using apple juice for communion. <laughs> One of you especially knows about that. Our addiction, you know, but it's not just me, it's, you know, our addiction to being right. It hasn't gone away. The compulsion to being right, to, to be right, goes back long before social media or cable news. Since the dawn of civilization, we've had a need to establish orthodoxies, right patterns of belief and thought, toe the line, and along with those orthodoxies to create outsiders who invariably fall outside. Notions of orthodoxy and outsider undergird this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. The scene is the reverse of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Last week we heard about Jesus meeting Nic Nicodemus meeting with Jesus at night. Nicodemus was the consummate insider. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish High Council. He was a respected teacher and elder. But the Samaritan woman is, well, a Samaritan and a woman. Samaritans to Judeans were worse than Gentiles. They were the descendants of the 10 northern tribes of Israel who had split off from David and Solomon's unified kingdom nearly a thousand years before this conversation. After they were conquered, their land had been resettled by Mesopotamian peoples, which meant intermarriage. And they had also opposed the rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple after the exile. So to a Jew, Samaritans were one, unfaithful, two, impure, and three, obstructionists to the true worship of God. They should have known better. Think of bitter family fights you've known. And you'll get an idea how much they hated each other. 
the Samaritan woman is not just a woman either who wouldn't have enjoyed the privileges men did. She was likely an outcast in her own community. Jesus doesn't judge her for her past. That should be said. Jesus doesn't judge her, but it's likely that her community did. Why else would she draw water at noon with the sun blazing overhead? So Jesus meets this woman, an outsider of outsiders at the well, which is itself potentially scandalous, knowing the biblical history of what happens at wells. A lot of love connections happen at wells in the Bible. Jesus does something shocking, something we moderns so easily gloss over. He asks her for something. Jesus, a lone man, asks this unnamed woman, also alone, to give him a drink. Jesus should know better. She calls him out on it. Why do you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? But Jesus has no fear. He doesn't fear her identity as a Samaritan, a woman, or even as an outsider in her own community. Nor does he fear what others might think of this conversation. His disciples show up after their trip to town, and they're, they're scandalized by what they see. But Jesus doesn't care. That doesn't concern him. Throughout John's Gospel, we learn that Jesus knows people. Jesus knows people deep down to their core. Jesus knows her for who she is, a beloved child of his Father who thirsts for the water of life. There's a turn in the conversation. She asks for living water, thinking that it's still a literal thing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells her to fetch her husband and come back. She replies that she has none, and Jesus tells her she's right and gives a summary of her past, but not in a judgmental way, but in a matter-of-fact way. Her response is really interesting. She doesn't lose her composure. She states what to her is obvious. He must be a prophet, at least, since he knows so much about her. So she asks a religious question. A question that concerns who is right. It's a question that has been part of the enmity between Jew and Samaritan, a history so sordid that force of arms was used to try and solve it. Where's the right place to worship? Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion? Samaritans believed it was Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing in Deuteronomy, that that was the place where God had chosen to put God's name. Well, the Jews had their temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Who's right? Jesus acknowledges that the Jews worship what they know. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if one worships the Lord in this place or that. It doesn't matter who is right. True worship is done in a way befitting God's own self, God's own person. True worship is done in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth are on a higher plane than who is right. Spirit and truth are about the heart. 
about this woman's heart, about the hearts of her people. God loves them too. God sent the Son for these outsiders too. Right or wrong, insider or outsider, God longs to bring them too into God's people. Jesus breaks down all these barriers, the barriers of gender and race, religion and ideology, insider and outsider, to bring people to faith, to bring people to his Father, to draw all people to himself, to the spring of living water. And Jesus breaks down these barriers today, even the ones that seem so immovable, so impassable. Jesus breaks them down because God loves the world and longs for the salvation, for its salvation. God longs for the world, whatever, they, whatever different people believe, to have long, at long last abundant life. The result of this conversation is that this woman brings her whole community to faith. They experience this abundant life, this salvation, this healing for themselves. And that's what's here for you today. We too are privileged to experience Jesus' abundant life. In word and in sacrament, in his body and blood given and shed for the life of the world. And because of that, we can set aside our addiction to being right. Because Jesus calls us to something better. Jesus calls us to spirit and truth. The very reality of God and God's love for the world. Let's pray. Lord God, our addiction to being right often hurts others. We set up barriers that distinguish us from them, yet you smash them all. Reconcile us to you and to one another in your love. Slake our thirst with the water of life, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.